Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. From the Badgers to Whitewater, from Concordia to Carroll, some of the best college football is played right here in the state of Wisconsin. Alongside the professor Dan Underberg and our producer, the Polish Pipe Bomb, Jeff Orlowski, I'm Don Wachillis. This is the College Football Show, and it starts right now. Once again, welcome in to the College Football Show right here on 105.7 FM, The Fan. Don Wachillis has... Mentioned in the opening alongside the professor, Dan Underberg, and our producer, Jeff Orlowski. Glad to be with you once again here for the next two hours as we transition out of the Bill Michaels huddle in pro football right into college football here in the state of Wisconsin. Coming up at around 8.30, it'll be J.R. Ogden, the sports editor for the Gazette down in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, as we take a peek ahead to the upcoming Badger-Iowa matchup this Saturday night. Also joining us in a little bit here will be our own radio, Joe Zenzola, to sit down and rehash what was kind of a mess this past week <laughs> between, between the Badgers and BYU. But before we get to that, and I, I think what will become therapy here for us this evening, once again with the Bill Michaels huddle over there at Coaches becomes a perfect segue as we'll be there on the 29th of September for a fundraiser for Sal. That'll take place from noon to 5 p.m. Mark Sales are unfortunately battling cancer. And as Stuart Scott once said, sometimes when you're battling disease, you get tired, you need your family and friends to pick up the fight while you rest. And this is one of those times, and that's exactly what we're going to do. So come on out to Coaches on September 29th and help us raise some funds for Mark and his family. Have some lunch, grab a couple of beverages, and then check out the raffles and the silent auctions and so forth that you will find taking place on that afternoon. So we would appreciate any assistance that you could give. And once again, all my Pulaski alumni come on out and support two of our own, Mark and Dawn. As we said in the past, we have a tendency to say, if you need anything, just call. Well, as I said earlier, consider this your phone call. All right, guys, it's therapy Thursday. (laughs) It's time to call our favorite psychologist. Oh, Jeff. All right, guys. I we talked talk about it. We have to. <laughs> you know, it, it was one of those things where wh- when the game came up, it was like you your first reaction is, Dan, I'm done. I'm just done. I don't want to do this anymore. And then one of 
the bright members of my family said, don't you talk about this kind of stuff once a week on a Thursday night? And I was like, yeah, you know what? You're right. So apparently I can't be done. But it just went to the frustration of what was last Saturday's loss to BYU. And and Dan, I'm going to let you jump in here because I, last week in talking about the victory against Western Kentucky, mm-hmm. I noted, at least in my opinion, that I I thought the Badgers were a bit flat, like they were going through the motions, and I kind of got the same impression this past Saturday, like they were there. It was BYU. They handled BYU in Provo last year. Like they were going through the motions, and then once they started to get punched in the mouth a little bit, they didn't necessarily know how to respond, and for me, the dig the biggest the biggest disappointment on Saturday was the offensive line I for a, a squad that has been touted the way it has been throughout the preseason in the first couple of weeks I really thought some of the miscues offensively that occurred stemmed right there from the big guys up front and we just being the Badgers never got anything rolling yeah so I agree um, like, <laughs> there, there's you. so many different ways we could go with this one and, and none of them are good. Um, part of, part of my challenge in terms of, of kind of assessing that, that train wreck that was Saturday, um, there's certainly were issues with the offensive line. And I look at that and I actually look back to that first game against Western Kentucky when we were talking about it and we said, you know what? We ran the ball. Well, we did some good things, but did you notice how easily they were getting the backfield and, they were there were stuff in the uh, Western Kentucky was stuff in the ball at the line of scrimmage and doing those things, and and it comes for me it comes back to that game against Ohio State last December when we when we got absolutely destroyed by speed, okay, so here we are again and we're celebrating the the burger fed Red Robin guys um, that are that are the the Badger offensive line and. We do this about once every five years, and the media loves to kind of just kind of focus on Wisconsin offensive line. But wake me up when we have foot speed on the offensive line. Well, okay, th- and that's because they're they're getting beat by guys on the defense right off the ball, and then defensive they're now just plugging the gaps of linebackers. That's all they're doing. And I wouldn't argue the fact that speed has been one of the detrimental factors facing the Badgers over the last few years. I mean, obviously we've seen it headed to the Big Ten Championship where we've gone through our half of the conference, Mm -hmm. played extremely well, got to the championship, and we just look completely, I don't want to say lost, but like here's level A and we're down here at D or E because we just cannot match the speed at this point, which then harkens not only did Jeff, we lose – speed-wise on the game Saturday, but BYU, with their physicality, just out-muscled us up front, on, I think, on both the offensive and defensive sides of the ball. Yeah, it was shocking to see. Just absolutely shocking. They definitely out-muscled the Badgers on both sides of the ball. You know, they had success with that jet sweep early, and it seemed like, after it, they started running a lot of fakes and faking the jet sweep, which opened up everything else right. because the linebackers mm-hmm. started getting out of position. Yep. The D linemen started getting out of position. They were all scared to death of that jet sweep because they couldn't stop it. And it opened up everything else for BYU. And 
Oh, man, what a heartbreaker. And if you go back, Dan, and look at the tape, the jet sweep was being run to the short side of the field. Mm-hmm. It wasn't as if it was something that was being extended to the wide side. And and again, when we were talking about speed, your inability to get there and handle open space. Right. It was to the short side of the field where they were able to crack down, seal the end, and you're getting 30 or 40 yards on a jet sweep on the short side of the field. That, to me, was just astonishing. Well, and Jeff pointed out you know, how, how the linebackers and the defensive line were being caught off position. What was killing me when I was watching the game is how quickly um, coverage would break down or defensive assignments would break down when the quarterback would break out of the pocket. And he would float out left or right, didn't even matter, and he would just wait and wait and wait. And the linebackers weren't there to attack the ball. And so time and time and time again, what would happen is he wouldn't throw deep. He'd just wait for the backer to come up, and he'd just dump a little 5, 10-yard out, and then their wide receivers or their running backs would just go and go and go. And you noticed while watching that many a times when receivers went in motion, mm-hmm. it was merely a deception ploy. They were just clearing out space yeah. because they realized and noticed what Wisconsin was doing defensively, and it goes to what you were just saying there, Dan. By throwing somebody out in motion, you start to then, well, there's one person out of the picture, and nobody else is rotating however the scheme you know, is is set up. And they were just in open space having a field day. BYU is the entire game, and this is one of the things that really bugs me, was always in control. They never looked panicked. They never looked out of sorts, even when Wisconsin was tying and doing those things. They always felt and looked like they were in complete control of that football game, which gets me to one of the things that most concerns me is we've gotten very used to um, Badgers start slow, we make adjustments, and then they come back out in the second half. Defensive and offensive adjustments are made. End of story. Here's the problem. This is the first time in a long time where I've seen a team wearing red and white come out of that locker room, assuming they've made adjustments and it made no difference yeah i'm sure i'm sure they did they looked at what they had to do they were making some some systematic changes but byd byu was so absolutely prepared that anything that that came out of that wisconsin locker room after the half it didn't matter because it looked to me like they knew it was happening before wisconsin did i'll i'll say this before halftime when byu runs that double pass Mm -hmm. and i thought all right, if if you it's that old mentality of if you've already resulted to trick plays. Right, I was there. Yep. I mm-hmm. think I think we're going to be okay. Like you had a you had to put your hand deep into the playbook and find something that it turned out worked perfectly, but the fact that you're already in trick play mode, I thought okay, mm-hmm. those adjustments will be made at halftime. Thing. We'll mm-hmm. get back to playing Wisconsin football. Dan, I, I have to I have to concur with what you're saying. It, it's the fact that BYU looked as if they knew exactly what Wisconsin wanted to do, when they wanted to do it, and they were able again to match up with them physically. Oh yeah, which absolutely astounded me because when we were talking uh, last week on the show and we had a couple of guests on, that's what BYU is aspiring, aspiring to. to be, but they want to be there yet. right. They mm-hmm. want to play like Wisconsin, and they sure, at least on Saturday, seem like they were there. Joining us at the table is our very own Radio Joe Zenzola. Joe, how you doing? Good evening, gentlemen. Uh, it's good to have you with us. Yeah. Listen, I I was kind of saving this 
till you had a chance to sit down here and let, let's talk about Hornerbrook. Let's talk about our quarterback, <laughs> Joe. Now, you and I were talking before we came on the air, and and you've admitted at at some point you you are one of his biggest apologists until this past week when you just kind of had enough. So let it go. Well, I just last season the. Alex Hornibrook, <laughs> let, let's think about this for a second. Alex Hornibrook going into last season, this was him, right? He wasn't trying to share quarterback duties with Bart Houston. This was all about him. This was his sophomore season. So, sophomore season, I don't think you can expect him to be Aaron Rodgers out there, right? Okay, so Alex Hornibrook last year, if you take away the boneheaded interceptions that he had throughout the course of that season – if you took those out, he had a pretty darn good season. When it came to completion percentage, when it came down to third down conversions, he was very effective. When he would make a bonehead mistake, he'd come out on the next drive. He would not look like a kid that was overwhelmed or freaking out about himself. He would go back out there and he would lead a commanding drive down the field where you're able to soak up six, seven minutes of uh, time and you score. And then you never look back. It's over. So anytime Alex Hornibrook would make a mistake, people would just get mad. They'd get fuming mad. This guy sucks. <laughs> I, was, I was waiting. I saw the, I saw the tweet this week. <laughs> All right. So th this guy has probably his best game in the Orange Bowl. And I'm thinking to myself, this is it. This is what this kid can really do. And if this carries over now into next season with the weapons that he has – this offense will make up for what a lot of the defense is going to leave behind with all the guys that they lost, mm -hmm. okay? And you remember what Horningbrook did against BYU. I mean, you go out to Provo, and <laughs> you got you have to factor in elevation. you got to factor in conditioning, your breathing. You know, this is different. Well, Horningbrook went out there and what was what, like 18 of 19? Right. You know what I mean? Like It was spectacular. Yeah, right. Next to the game at the Orange Bowl, that was his best game of the season. He played out of his mind against that team. So where the hell was this against BYU last week? I understand BYU is an improved football team. They're not the same team that they were last year. But this was never supposed to be close, guys. And the thing is, I, I, I'll defend him for as long as I can. But now that he's into his second full season, this guy has to elevate himself more. He can't make boneheaded mistakes like he did against BYU. Not against Iowa. BYU. And here's the thing. Other teams now, obviously, like BYU, right. understand that he hasn't elevated his game yet. So what are we doing? We're stacking the box. Mm -hmm. put, eight, put eight guys up front. And Alex beat us and at this point granted it's only week three but at this point he hasn't had the ability to do exactly what joe said which was elevate his game and get this team to a point where they can run and pass the football and keep defenses on their heels it's not there yet the the no well you're not going no, ahead, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> here's my thing with horner i i've i've now gotten to the point now where this this is the quarterback he is I, I have I've now passed the point of we're going to see this this continual improvement. And, I, and, I, and for the record, guys, I'm tired of hearing about how great he does in camps and how he's leading all these things and doing all that. What 
I believe we're going to expect from Alex Hornibrook and what we're going to see is this 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 up and down wave of incredible play, followed by a, a, a you know kind of this 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 sunken kind of horrible game or this this back and forth between games where it's going to be up and down back and forth boneheaded plays looking overwhelmed and then there's going to be a game popping up where he's going to be great. I don't believe now after watching him for 2 years into this his MO is inconsistent. I, I he may get a little better over time but I'm not really a believer anymore that he's going to take another significant step up. I'm not there anymore. So so what do we do? Do do we now start talking about I don't you can't call it a quarterback controversy, but do you start looking at next man up if Horner Brook is not going to be that guy to elevate, to use Joe's term, as you just said, to get this team going? Because the expectations coming in, I, hey, I drank the Kool-Aid. Me and Jim Jones, we drank the Kool-Aid. <laughs> I was all in for what was going to be the season because I understood the defense was young, mm-hmm. and I understood that, to me, was where the complications may exist. For the life of me, with that offensive line, with the running backs, and with a Hornerbrook, as you said, Joe, now in his second full year, really no competition for the position, I was ready for this offense to roll and make up for the mistakes that we were going to find on the defensive side of the ball. But but did you think at the beginning of the year this was a college football playoff team? Because I did not, and it was for the reason that you just said. It was the defense. The defense was the biggest question mark. This is not a complete team, guys. And so many people wanted to put on their red and white glasses and say, no, what are you talking about? This is That's asinine what you're saying. Guys, if they had last year's defense with this year's team, let's have that conversation. But again, it was the offense that was supposed to be better. Right. And as you said, Dan, earlier, how many more times do we have to sit here and see this offense get off to a slow start first half, and then they pick it up the second half. We have seen this now for a while. So I am not ready just yet to jump on the train with you, Dan, and say that this is who Hornybrook is. There's room on my train, I'm just saying. (laughs) I'm willing to join. Let's find out, though. (laughs) Let's find out, though, if he responds against Iowa. I just don't understand why he is making just – I mean, seriously, boneheaded mistakes in that BYU game. What is he thinking on the run where he sees the linebacker underneath of Jake Ferguson Mm -hmm. and yet decides to throw it? Do you really think you can throw it over his head and let Ferguson get that? You didn't even try that. You just, it went right to him. But weren't we having somewhat of a similar discussion, Jeff, last week? Not with what you're saying, Joe, with that type of throw. But how many throws against Western Kentucky did we have ends, receivers running into the flat that were wide open 15, 20 yards downfield that he overthrew by 15 or 20 yards? Right. These guys are wide open. This is pitch and catch. This is this is stuff any quarterback that you could find at, at any school around the country can make. And for whatever reason this year, and I don't know if maybe it's him putting pressure on himself, but he's just not making those throws, and then that's forcing him, at least it appears, to make some of the bad decisions like Joe was just alluding to. Yeah, I agree. He he just he didn't have it, and, you know, for both last year and this year, talking about how he's got such a quick memory and he puts these boneheaded mistakes behind him and he comes back out and, he, you know, his level of play goes up, 
and you know it just it didn't happen so i i want to rail on the defense but i'll i'll wait on that so i'll i'll (laughs) give my time to you guys but you better hop on that train soon joe because there's a lot less room now that i'm on it jeff we got plenty of time for therapy tonight so we'll give you time on the defense a little bit later but to go back with with this whole hornerbrook thing joe do you think that not having the competition has changed some of the dynamics as far as Hornerbrook's thinking goes. You know, some people, when there's a little bit of pressure, they respond differently. So last year, knowing that there was a bit of a battle going in to see who was going to be the starting quarterback, how how you were going to play, we were going to split some time, we were going to do some things that Chris had altered as far as the offense goes. Now going in this year, knowing you're the number one guy, do you think the lack of somebody pressing on the backside, so to speak, has kind of changed the way Hornerbrook processes the game. I see, but but he had this was the same mindset last year, though. Don, it, it didn't it didn't change. He was the guy. Jack Cohen was not going to catch him. Paul Christ. There was never a point last season where Paul Christ was thinking to himself, "Yeah, you know what." I don't trust Hornybrook. I'm going to put in Cohen. And there were people last year, there were fans saying, put in Jack Cohen. He he needs to play. This Hornybrook kid, he sucks. Well, Chris stuck with him. And it wasn't that bad. Again, if you take away the picks from last season, Hornybrook had a good year. This year, I think, is the same thing. Jack Cohen, to me, isn't breathing down Alex Hornybrook's neck. He, he just isn't. And I, I don't... I. Cannot expect Chris to go with Cohen anytime soon unless they lose to Iowa, they lose again to say like Michigan. You know, the the wheels have come off the track completely and this season's over and you can finally raise the white flag on Hornybrook. I think it's going to take a lot for them to even try Jack Cohen. In the meantime, this is Alex's job. This is what he has to do and he has the weapons. Even though... Even though Quintus Cephas isn't there, you are lock and loaded. But b- yeah. between Danny Davis and AJ Taylor and Kendrick Pryor, you are loaded. And you saw what Pryor and AJ Taylor were able to do when Davis was out. They they really stepped up. These guys are really good receivers. And you got to take advantage of that as a quarterback. God help us coming up on Saturday when you're going up against one of the top defensive lines in the country. And this offensive line better wake up. I I, I saw Jason Galloway. <laughs> Jason Galloway does a really good job from the State Journal when he does his little film room sessions yeah. every week. Yeah. And he, and he picks out particular plays, you know, good ones, bad ones. He picked out three different plays where David Edwards, the right tackle, I mean, completely missed his edge rusher. Mm-hmm. A couple of times the man fell. This is a guy who's supposed to have NFL caliber skills. This is a guy that could be drafted in the first round. And this guy is whiffing. And he's protecting Alex Hornibrook's blind side. I almost think, going up against Iowa on Saturday, that they're gonna Hornibrook is gonna have to get that ball off. He's gonna have to play a little bit more dink and dunk. Because if you're gonna get that kind of crap from David Edwards, he's done. They're going to get killed. Hornybrook will get killed, and he's not going to be able to do anything right. And I think that's one of the things that bothers me about the first three games that we've seen right now is that it, it's 
we we have the talent to play dink and dunk to do that. We've got the running backs out of the backfield that can do it. We've got the wide receivers that can do it. You're loaded. We saw Ferguson come back, and he had a great game last week. And we're, we're not. We keep on looking for the 10, 15 yards, and we don't need to do that. You don't have to. No. So. And, and, and that's what they were known for last year yeah. was these short passes, just hitting guys left and right. We're going to let Joe head over to the recovery room and settle down <laughs> before he has to drive up on out of here <laughs> listen we need to take a break we're, we're not done we're not done yet but when we come back we're going to look ahead before we look back because joining us will be jr ogden the sports editor at the gazette down in cedar rapids iowa as we look ahead to this upcoming badger iowa hawkeye matchup this saturday evening and we'll get to it next this is the college football show right here on 105.7 fm the fan oh yeah What's again? Welcome back in to the College Football Show right here on 105.7 FM. The Fan. We jump right to the Great Midwest Bank Hotline. Now pleased to be joined by the sports editor for the Gazette down in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. It's J.R. Ogden. J.R., how you doing? Good. How are you? We're great. Thanks for uh, taking some time on a Thursday evening to join us to uh, preview this upcoming Badger-Iowa matchup. So right off the top, we're we're in therapy mode here, Jr. Just just so you know, after last week, um, just off the top, looking at what happened to the Badgers on Saturday and where Iowa is, what is just your expectations of what we should be looking at Saturday night? Boy, I, I wish I, I I wish I had a clairvoyant answer to that one, but uh, so do I. I'd all... like to go to Vegas. <laughs> this is this is always such a. a, a you know, a hard-fought game, or maybe not always. Last year, Wisconsin won it uh, fairly easily, but generally, this is such a hard-fought game because the programs are so much alike. Um, I think you're going to see, uh, you know, a Wisconsin team's hungry and probably a little angry after last week, and you're going to see an Iowa team that's defense has been pretty stellar, uh, you know, here the first three weeks and, and has been looking pretty good. I don't know if they've been tested uh, with this kind of an offense, with this kind of a running back in particular. Although, uh, you know, the kid from uh, Iowa State's pretty good running back himself, and they held him, to, you know, to 40-some yards. So I just think you're going to see a good, hard-fought game. And um, I know some people are, are predicting it could, it could get high scoring, but I'm thinking it's going to be a fairly low-scoring game. Yeah, I, I kind of agree. I don't – after watching our offense last <laughs> week, I, I, don't, I, don't see, I don't see many, many end-zone dances um, like we're watching on this Thursday night game by the, by the Jets. JR, with the fact that the Badgers had such a difficult time running the ball this past week against what turned out to be a pretty physical BYU club, do you foresee Iowa challenging Hornerbrook, putting eight in the box and saying, listen, we're, we're going to make sure we do everything we can to stop Jonathan Taylor, and you're going to have to do something with the passing game to make this thing work in Iowa? Well, you know, I, I, their their defense doesn't do a whole lot of that. They they try to stick to their, you know, what they do. It seems like all the time that this this is how, what we're going to run, and we're not going to change. We're going to make you beat us from, from what we do. But yeah, I mean, I, I think they're going to have to. I think they're going to have to try some different things. Uh, that AJ Epinesis is playing so well. I think they're going to try to have to cut him loose and, and come after the quarterback there, just because he's been having some success doing that. Um, so I think you're going to see him probably run some different packages. 
that open up some of those uh, those blitzes and and try and try to get them at the quarterback. But yeah, they're going to have to shut down the run. But they think they, they I think they already think they can do that because of what they've been doing uh, the first three weeks of the season. Talking with J.R. Ogden, he's a sports editor for Gazette down in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, about this upcoming Badger Iowa Hawkeye matchup. J.R., I know one of the things you do for the Gazette down there as your role as a sports editor is it's the five things you need to know about the upcoming matchup. What was something when you're when you're doing your research and and you're looking at all the various things that you end up compiling for your article, what was the one thing that kind of stood out and, and maybe surprised you when you were putting everything together? Well, you know, I, 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 I tell you, we started doing this a, a, a year ago. Another uh, a person was doing it last year, and I, I had an idea how I wanted this to kind of shake out. I wanted it to be fun. I'm not sure I'm the, the best person to be fun, but <laughs> I, <laughs> I, do like, I do like doing some research and, and, and trying to find out different things about teams. I, I actually went into it, uh, you know, uh, looking at your running at the, at the Badger running back and and I, I knew how good he was, and so I started trying to do some things. I always try to see if there's a local connection, and you got an Iowan on the uh, the roster playing outside linebacker, although his, he's obviously questionable uh, for this week. But then I, what, what really kind of fascinated me was Paul Christ, uh, Chris. I mean, he's he is uh, his record there is remarkable, and I found a, a a bit of an article from a Cleveland.com story that I just thought was uh, that was really interesting, kind of kind of comparing him to. Uh, uh, Jim Harbaugh. When Harbaugh came in at Michigan, they came in at the same time, and came he came in with all the fanfare. Uh, Chris did not, and uh, and you look at the two records, and Chris is clearly the better coach. You know, has done a heck of a lot more. I just thought that was really interesting. Jr. You you unintentionally gave me a perfect segue where I want to go next. Uh, Kirk Ferentz, the uh, court uh, the quarterback, the coach for <laughs> Iowa. Excuse me. You know, a few years back, I I can remember him being the top commodity, especially for the NFL when teams were looking. And it doesn't seem that long ago that when the Packers were making their move to hire uh, Mike McCarthy, one of the one of the people was Kirk that was being sought after as a possible replacement during that time period. What's been his status? With the University of Iowa, does he still have the shine that was there 10, 12 years ago? And is is he stable? Are people happy with what he's doing? Just kind of talk to that a little bit. I think he's I think he's more stable than maybe he's ever been, just because he's he's been through all that, and uh, they, the university stuck with him, and he stuck with the university, and they, you know it would it seemed to be almost every other year uh, we we go through this with. Uh, his name being brought up in a different job here, a different job there. But, you know, now he's been there this is the 20th season. He's not going anywhere. I mean, you know, the only place he's going to go is retire and, and hand the reins over to his son someday. Um, I don't. I, I just don't see that ever happening again. Uh, you know, he went 12-0 and just a couple of years ago. Uh, people loved him. They're, they're going to bowl games. I mean, I, there's a, there's a, there is a, a group of, of people who want to be better than 8-5 and five every year or, or – or you know uh, nine and four three excuse me nine and three uh, you know whatever it might be they'd like to see a little shake up maybe play some better teams sometimes uh, but for the most part uh, he's very well liked number one because he's he's very he's a decent man I mean I I've always said about him since day one is uh, what you see with Kirk Ferentz is what you get I mean he's not a real flamboyant guy he's not out there um, you know selling himself. Uh, uh, in a Jim Harbaugh to bring him up again kind of way. He's not out there trying to to bring all this attention. He's just he's just a down to earth kind of guy. The players love him. Uh, you you read anything that you know because we've been doing 
this the whole series on him this year, a lot of stories on him because he was became the winningest coach in Iowa history, you know, topping Hayden Fry. The people, the, the people who play for him, the, the coaches who coach with him, they just love him. They think the world of him um, because he is such an honest and, and, and clean guy. Quick question. It's around, around here in Wisconsin, a, a lot of the talk is obviously about Jonathan Taylor in the Heisman Trophy conversation, and, and obviously a talent. It seems to me like Akram Wadley is always kind of floating underneath the radar a little bit, that, he, that he's a quality back, but – we just don't hear as much about him. Can you can you tell us a little bit about, um, you know, his career at Iowa and what you expect from him this year? Well, he's gone. Wadley's gone. Um, yeah, he graduated last year, so uh, he uh, you know, he he had a heck of a had a heck of a career there. They've got some new running backs this year who they've got they they feel very good about. Uh, a couple of guys. Uh, uh, I'm going to get the name wrong. Torin Young uh, is one that really stands out right now. They think he's going to be something special. They've got three different backs. They've kind of been using one of them has been hurt, uh, but expects to be back this weekend. And uh, I think that, you know, they, they feel pretty good about what they have. They like having that, a guy like Wadley who can, uh, who can, who can make the cuts and, and get the breakaway runs. And they like guys that can come in and, and run real hard, and knock some guys over and, and take them down. You know, you got Jonathan Taylor over there who can, who, who does a little bit of everything. They, 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 Iowa uses two backs to take care to do that same thing, I guess. Um, so they feel pretty good about where they're at. They haven't really uh, uncorked a real great game yet uh, from a running back, any particular running back, but they've been able to move the ball pretty well on the ground. We're talking with J.R. Ogden, the sports editor for the Gazette over in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. J.R., we just a few minutes ago, I think both kind of agreed, at least from our perspective, that what we could find this Saturday is a low-scoring affair, which then could come down to some special teams play. And Rafael Gaglioni for us shanked a 42-yarder. I mean, that that thing wasn't even close. And going into this season, everybody thought that could be one of our strengths. What about the kicker down in in Iowa, Miguel? Is it Racinos? Am I saying that correctly? Yes. Yeah. Oh, okay, I, uh, and, and I know he's only 4 of 7. Guy. I'm a newspaper guy. I don't have to pronounce anything. So. <laughs> you just have to write it. I got you. I just have to spell it right. There you go. So I have to look it up. But, but no, I, you know, I actually I was watching that game. I actually thought that kick got – got blocked it almost looked like it got blocked like it got tipped when I was you know, when I was watching uh, the Wisconsin game on, on Saturday and it's like did that get blocked and I get, apparently no apparently like you said he just he just shanked it so you know uh, Racinos has not been tested in a situation like this but I think you know I think you're right I think it could not come down to something like that I I can see this game coming right down the wire we're like I say an old newspaper person like myself uh, we're sweating bullets because the game's not going to get over till you know it's 11 o'clock. Uh, our deadline is 10 minutes later. Uh, uh, so we're thinking, okay, maybe it would be nice if this, if this game could, could be decided in the third quarter by halftime just so we know what we're doing. But uh, we have a, a, a real good feeling this is going to come down to the end. I think he's a good kicker. I think he does, he, he's been done, done a decent job uh, when he has to. Uh, but he's never been tested in a game like this before. So going into this season, Jr., what was the perspective down in Iowa as to – what the goals, the expectations, what people thought this Hawkeye team was going to do with this 2018 season? Well, there are a lot of people who had, I won't say real, real, real high expectations. I heard a lot of eight and fours, uh, a couple of nine and threes. Uh, I even I did hear some ten and twos, but that was based mainly on the schedule. Uh, Iowa's schedule is not it, it's pretty favorable this year for them. Um, uh, they've got, you know, they've got a tough game here on Saturday. They got to go out and play at Penn State. 
Other than that, there's really not a whole lot of, um, uh, you know, potholes in, in that schedule. And they had a veteran quarterback coming back. You know, Nate Stanley did some really nice things last year. Now, he's having a, excuse me, he's had a few, a slow start, let's put it that way. He did play very well last week against Northern Iowa uh, and, and had his, his percentage was up, uh, threw some nice passes. Uh, he's going to have to do that again. I think what, that's one of the things you might want to, uh, that Iowa might want to try to do this Saturday is try to throw the ball a little bit more because uh, it seems like that's what's worked in the past when they've, when they've had success against Wisconsin. Um, but now I think the expectations were, were, were fairly high. Let's put it that way. Uh, a lot of eight and fours, a lot of and a few nine and threes in there. Uh, I think, you know, regardless what happens, that's still on the table this weekend. JR, one last question for you. How cool is it when you're in that stadium when everybody pauses to wave at the kids? next door at the Children's Hospital. I just think that has become probably the greatest, we'll call it tradition right now, going on in sports. I, I just think it's absolutely awesome. It, it is. It's a, it's, a, it's, just, it's a really, really neat moment, and you, especially when you hear all the uh, the personal stories. Uh, you know, Iowa's got a player uh, on their team right now whose uh, uh, girlfriend uh, gave birth to twins a few weeks ago. Uh, and they were a few weeks early, so they're up in the you know in the neonatal center. Uh, so when you see hear stories like that with a real personal, you know, Kirk Ferentz lost a grandchild, uh, which was kind of inspired you know him to donate money to the hospital. He and his wife, although they've always been very involved with the Children's Hospital, I think since day one uh, in Iowa City. And so it is. I mean, it, there's 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 nothing like it. I mean, there's literally nothing like it, especially in college football or or, in, or anywhere. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. JR, thank you so much for taking some time out this evening for joining us here on the College Football Show. We greatly appreciate it. Best wishes to you. Enjoy the game Saturday night. All right, thank you very much. My pleasure. It's JR Ogden, the sports editor for the Gazette over in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, joining us on the Great Midwest Bank Hotline. When we come back, well, we move forward. Time to take a step back because our producer wants to talk defense and it's time for his <laughs> therapy moment. And we'll do it all next. This is the College Football Show right here on 105.7 FM, The Fan. Before I'm through and the night is done, man, I'm going to have fun. Once again, welcome back into the College Football Show right here on 105.7 FM, The Fan. And as we said before, we went to break our producer. The Polish pipe bomb has got some thoughts with regards to the Badger defense. <laughs> Jeff, the floor is yours. Well, have we ever had a game where it was just completely obvious that Jim Leonard was completely outcoached? You know, I'm sitting there watching, and I, I it, it was blowing my mind. And, you know, we talked uh, in the first segment a little bit about, you know, with the jet sweep and how the linebackers and, and defensive linemen were getting out of position and, basically playing scared against it uh, the more that the game went on. But, uh, you know, they go into halftime. I'm just sitting there. Yep, Leonard's going to make the proper adjust. I have, you know, I have 100% faith in, in him. I know they lost some players and everything like that, so it's going to take, you know, a little bit. But I, I've got pure faith in him. But I, it just it blew my mind. Do you think the reason why – in your eyes, he got out coached is because the adjustments he's having to make with such a young defense are more vanilla in nature and not to the complexities that we saw with what we'll, we'll again call a veteran unit like we saw last year? That is a fantastic question. And Good night, my, everybody. <laughs> my, my answer is absolutely not. The Badgers have turned into the Green Bay Packers where it's arrogance. 
They lost. They've had so many players walk off this defensive squad because there's upperclassmen that are losing their job to young players, and so they want to transfer to go get time at a different university. You cannot allow that exodus of players to happen and then have the fallback excuse that, oh, well, these guys are young because this is what you created. You obviously thought that you could scheme your way to success with the young guys that you had, and you just lost at home to the Mormons. So, <laughs> you know, you, you can't it can't go both ways. No, it can't go both ways, but it is the the kind of the atmosphere that Dan College Athletics is now with the fact that kids can transfer mm-hmm. when they don't believe that their future is as bright with the team that they chose, in this case the school that they chose to go to. So you're going to have to have younger guys that step up. And I just don't know if, I mean, Jeff made his his thoughts perfectly clear. I just don't know if yet these kids can handle all of the maneuvers that Leonard wants to put in when they looked as confused as they did on Saturday. Well, two things. Number one, I, I Jeff is dead on. I, I've never seen Leonard get out coached like that before ever. The other thing is that the, the reason we celebrate Jimmy Leonard as a coach is because um, we've always talked about how he gets his guys in the right position to make the play. And, and the assumption is when you talk like that is that this is not a technically difficult defense to be a part of. Get to where you need to be, make the play, and, and, and going with that. So part of my shock with what happened on, on Saturday was – Number one, just a lack of defensive toughness. I, I just felt like they were just lacking on that. They, they looked confused. But number two, it didn't look like anybody was in position to make a play. And what killed me about it is that, again, kind of what you were saying earlier, Jeff, I didn't see anything. I didn't see BYU doing anything overly complex. No. no you know, there, was, there was a point. I mean, interrupt you, Dan. Yeah, there was a point in the game, and I'll go back to that jet sweep to the short side. Where Ryan Conley playing linebacker, and not just pick on him. I mean, you can you can find probably all eleven and the subs that came in different different points of the game where you could point somebody out. But there were back to back in essence jet sweeps to the short side of the field where Conley didn't seem to be able to react to it until it was almost too late. Mm-hmm. As if you know, here it comes. Almost everybody else but he realized it was coming his way, and then by the time he was set to make a move, it, it was too late. He he was reacting too late, and so did Leonard put him in the right position, and he just misread it, or I, I don't know. The question marks are just all over the place. Yeah, one quick thing I would say, maybe in defense of Jim Leonard, is is how many times can our defensive ends and, and defense get in the backfield, get their arms around the legs of the quarterback and do those things and couldn't bring them down? Yeah. I mean, there there were so many touches they had in the backfield and they could not bring those guys down. So maybe, you know, maybe the, the, the calls were right in some of those instances. But I just – I want to go really quickly off the, the, the arrogant comment. I – I'm with you on that because I think there's such a, a comfort and just a, a an acceptance of, well, we started slow, not a big deal. We're going to come back in the second half. And that's 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 culture. And I think that's now gone beyond confidence. It's like, well, this is what we do, and we'll come back. Well, it didn't happen. 
All right, let's take a break right here. When we come back, let's quickly look at the top 25 as it stands right now in Division I football, and we'll glance at it next. This is the College Football Show right here on The Fan. Once again, welcome back in to the College Football Show right here on 105.7 FM, The Fan. First, want to give a little shout-out to Bart Winkler of the morning show. Appreciate the kind words on Twitter with regards to the College Football Show. Don't forget, you can check him out every morning right here on The Fan. Let's jump to the top 25, guys. And, Dan, let's let's speak to it. You were talking about it here during the commercial break. Are you surprised that... The Badgers only fell to 18. Did you expect more? Did you expect less? I expected more. Yeah. I saw them I saw them floating between 20 and 25. Um just it was so expected. BYU were 21 point dogs and you lose at home to BYU. Right. Badly. So I just yeah, seeing them land at 18 really surprised me. And people always wonder how Vegas keeps the lights on, right? <laughs> Listen. Look at let's look right now at just the top 4 within the top 25 poll, Alabama, Georgia, Clemson, Ohio State. Jeff, I'll start with you. With all four of those teams, the common denominator is speed. Yeah. And as we were saying early on in today's show, I mean, listen, I drank the Kool-Aid. I was hoping that Wisconsin could run the table, be one of those final four teams. But you look at the four that exist right now, I don't. I don't see how Wisconsin would match up against any of them. No, I don't either. I don't either. I expect those same four to be in the playoff, with the exception of maybe Georgia, because they choke every year. Dan, it goes to then how important. A little bit different than basketball. You can lose early on in basketball, kind of build your momentum back up mm-hmm. and make your way into March Madness and and be on a roll. It's different football where. <laughs> You know, you hear you hear the commercial all the time. Every game counts, but literally it does because oh, yeah. we went last week thinking about what could be with the Badgers, and now what could be has gone from ninety some percent down to maybe one point five percent. When you're looking at what could this season now become? Yeah, well, it's it's sure not going to be a playoff season. I mean, that's that's out of the question. And to your point, yeah, the forget you know later season or even kind of the playoff selection. The playoffs begin in August. Whenever that first game starts, that's that's when the playoffs start. And that's what makes college football cool is that that one loss could really kind of screw you up. Um yeah, I don't I don't know what to expect anymore. I really don't. Um you know, I I still think they have a chance to play in the Big Ten championship game and, and get, you know, a decent, you know, close to New Year's Day bowl game. But it's to me it, it's a spoiled comment. Right, it's same old, same old. Yeah. Here we are talking about a team, and we're getting tired of of kind of that kind of outback bowl kind of experience. But you know, they're still they they still pack them in. They still they still do well, and so we just had bigger plans for them this year. We did have bigger plans, and we need to appreciate because at least for the three of us sitting at this table, we do remember the <laughs> excitement of a Garden State bowl when they hadn't been to a bowl game in <laughs> oh, heaven goodness, knows how yeah. long. Um, the fact that, as you said, you, you become a bit spoiled with the success, but the hopes going into this season now ride on a lot of other factors that you don't control. And one of those is 
boy, you hope BYU just rolls. You <laughs> don't hope, you, though? You hope BYU. We're Cougar fans now. Yes, that they're in the top 15. Now, don't get me wrong. That means the Badgers got to take care of business. But if the Cougars of BYU could find themselves in that top 15, you begin to play the game of justification as you make your way into late <laughs> November, December. Game of justification sucks. Yes, it does. And on that note, it's time for us to take a break. <laughs> when we come back, a lot of action in the Division Three games that happened here in the state and elsewhere, and we'll cover it all next. This is the College Football Show right here on 105.7 FM, The Fan. You were my hope, you and my smoke, you dropped the bomb. You dropped the bomb on me, baby, you dropped the bomb on me. But you turned me up. Once again, welcome back in. For the second hour of the college football show right here on 105.7 FM, the fan joined by the professor, Dan Underberg and our producer. The, I wish he'd have some fun during those. Updates. I can listen to those updates every, <laughs> and just, just let them go. The just, Bob, just, Jeff Orlowski is with us as well. Guys, let's jump to D3. Let's look first at the top 25. Whitewater will come in this week at 10. Oshkosh at 12. Lacrosse. Hangs on at 23. Platteville falls out of the top 25, but gets a nod in the honorable mention category. And another team to talk about here as we make our way through the Division III uh, schedule and games and so forth is Carthage. Carthage starting to get a little national recognition for what they're doing so far in this young season. So, Again, I think what everybody is waiting for, if you're following Division Three football, happens in about a week or two when we see Whitewater in Oshkosh. Whitewater, oh my goodness, 73, 73 to nothing. How good How good is it when you, you win a game like that, Dan, where you know by there's a, a point, halftime, third quarter, whatever the minute mark was, for the Warhawks, where you can start getting your starters off the field. They've got their work, and now the younger guys can get some work. What it does, not only for resting the starters, but just building the morale of the guys who really do nothing but practice week in and week out to finally get on the field, get a little bit of playing time, that that has to just be huge for the team chemistry, morale, whatever, whatever you want to put next to the word team there. For the Warhawks, as now we start getting into the WEAC schedule. Yeah, I agree with that. I um, I look at that and I think to myself, same thing that you're saying, which is, yeah, we can finally get guys on the field, get them some experience. But as that game goes on, and you know, at some point after the first quarter, you know it's meaningless, and you know you're going to win this game. As a coach, I start to get nervous about, okay, let's get out of here healthy. Let's not lose someone yeah. over a game like this, and and how do we manage that a little bit? The other thing that really jumps out at me, though, is is thinking about oh, what does Coach Cerrone up at Oshkosh got to be thinking? We're we're struggling just to find competition. Yeah. And and but for the record, this is not this is not Whitewater's fault. I'm not coming at Whitewater. It's not no. my point. But to to know you got to struggle and you've got you've got to play up a division. You're playing D two. You lose seven to three, and people look at that and you drop significantly in the rankings. And again, here we are. And again, nothing against Whitewater, but for for, for everybody's not paying attention. Oh, 73 to nothing. Holy crap. That's that's an incredible that's incredible game, incredible football team. Not an argument against Whitewater, but I mean that's level of competition is significantly different. Well, and and let's be fair to Whitewater. Whitewater is going through the same issues 
that Oshkosh mm-hmm. is Absolutely. going through, lacrosse yep. is going through, and finding these non-conference games. It just so happens that, and as we all know, these things are agreed upon years in advance. Right. So for whatever reason, coming into this season, Middle Georgia State said three, four, five years back, and you don't know where their program was at that time that this might be the challenge they were looking for. And and you never know. As kids graduated, recruiting classes don't pan out the way you think they're going to pan out. All of those factors come into play, but then Whitewater ends up in a situation where they <laughs> 73 to nothing. Yeah. Goodness gracious. Uh River Falls fell to Missouri Baptist, 38-28. Lacrosse Falls, which, again, we were talking about this off the air. We're taking a week off from having coaches on because it seems like every time we have a coach on, they take one on the chin that following week. Lacrosse loses to Dickinson State, 35-17. to Oshkosh on the road in Missouri, a 10-point winner, 17-7. to Platteville, who fell out of the top 25, they had to go – to Crestview Hills, Kentucky, to play Thomas Moore. They lose 35-28. And, Dan, you talked about this last week, and it goes back to this whole idea of where we find these non-conference games at and the fact that you get somebody like Platteville that has to travel to Kentucky and you get somebody like Oshkosh that has to go to Missouri. Now, I'm sure to some degree – the kids probably like it. Yeah, that's fine. You know, mm-hmm. it, it's it's travel, it's hotel, it's everything else. But let's not mistake it for the Badgers traveling to Iowa or the Badgers traveling to Kentucky, since we'll use that as the example. These are not charter flights. <laughs> these are these are not, you know, four or five-star hotels. This is get on the bus, throw your bag down below – it, it does have a little bit of wear and tear just well, sure. from the travel aspect mm-hmm. than to go to a place like Kentucky if you're UW-Platteville and only lose by seven. I guess what I'm getting at is it goes to what you were saying. The people who put together the top 25 who vote, I don't know if they have the time, knowledge, wherewithal to really contemplate all of that when casting their ballots for D3 to compile everything on a weekly basis. Yeah, it's a different challenge. I mean, D3 athletes will tell you that they sign up for this, and, you know, being at Concordia, um, you know, I, I hear our football players talk about the challenges of, of traveling to Finlandia and doing things like that. It's Sure. It is, it's a long trip, and, and your coaches now have to think about, okay, who's staying with who, what's your routine, what's your schedule. It just changes everything, and, and that's just getting people to the game. And then getting back, you know, you've got the wear and tear of the game and just struggling with that a little bit. And, and to your point, these are not charter jets. You're right. You, you know, you were you were on the road for ten, you know, eight, ten, twelve hours sometimes just to get back to your home dorm and then do it again. And then to be on the coaching side of things, let's face it: if you're staying overnight, you're dealing with eighteen, nineteen, <laughs> twenty-year-old young men. When you're eighteen, nineteen, and twenty, there are times you don't necessarily make the greatest decision. So. <laughs> To have to think about making sure that you're keeping an eye on your guys right. so that they don't fall into a situation where they make a bad decision, it just it, it creates a lot of external things that you don't necessarily have to deal with when you're playing a home game. And, and a lot of it, too, is is based on your leadership on that particular squad and how well they're, they're setting a culture for that team. A lot of the issues really aren't about, you know, your student athletes going crazy when they're away. 
it's the little things like, are, you know, are you in bed when you're supposed to be? Are your phones off? Are you getting the rest you're supposed right. to? It's the little things that, that you know, those, those little tiny things that just kind of attract you. Sure. And, and take away from maybe the purpose of why you're there. Uh, and those are things it's it's harder for a coach to monitor those things than it would have been years ago when we didn't have them. So I, I don't, I don't know that there's a, a real simple solution to it, but I, again, you know, if, if you're traveling that far, it's just one more complication that really doesn't go into the thought process of are you an 18 or are you a 12 or are you a 10 in terms of ranking. A couple of games of note this week, kind of a short schedule within the WEAC. Eau Claire is at St. Thomas of Minnesota. St. Thomas of Minnesota, one of those teams that both on the football and basketball side with regards to Division Three, usually has yep. a pretty sound program. Mm-hmm. The game of the year, California Lutheran at UW-Stout. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> Don't you just think those kids from California are just so excited to go to Stout? <laughs> and then the other one is Lakeland at Platteville. But the other game locally that I think is worth noting is going to be Carthage. And Carthage, though, on the road at Washington University in St. Louis, Missouri, they beat Carroll last week 31 to nothing. Oshkosh, they they made a game of it. They lost 20 to 9. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if you recall a couple of weeks ago when we had Pat Cerrone on our show, he was talking about the challenges that Carthage posed to the Titans of Oshkosh and Oshkosh, one of those teams that people around the area are looking forward to seeing kind of ascend through the WEAC and maybe into a postseason berth like they had last year. Carthage suddenly is becoming one of those teams to just keep an eye out for because they're quietly being consistent and they're quietly building on what they've had here over the last couple of years. Yeah. And we've talked about it where Carthage is this, this team that's just kind of they're they're just a game away or maybe even a season away from making that jump because they've been so close so many times since we've been since we've been doing the show we've talked about how close Carthage is to to making that leap and kind of the challenge that they have in their particular division I I think I look at that I look at lacrosse the same way yeah it's just it's just trying to get over that hump and I'll and I'll say for anybody out there you know we talk about the fact that you can watch these games online. I mean, you can you can really find yourself multitasking on a Saturday afternoon having games on the big screen, the Division One games, and having your computer up and running and having some of these Division Three games going. But on the 29th, Carthage is at home against Elmhurst. Art Keller Field, one of the nicest mm-hmm. Division Three stadiums you'll find anywhere with regards to the stadium of itself, but then you take that stadium and the setting right by Lake Michigan, that's just a really nice place to go watch a football game, especially right now. I'm not so sure come November when the wind is coming off the lake, it's a place (laughs) that I'm going to want to sit on a cold bench and watch football. But this time of the year where you still, you can go out and watch a game and it's 50, 60, now at least the way it was today, 70, 80 degrees out. I mean, it's just a really nice spot to check out a Division Three collegiate football game. And and Carthage is, is still a little off the beaten path. People know of it. Not everybody – they they know it's in, in, in Kenosha, but they don't know where. And it's it's so easy to get to. It, it's so simple right. to get onto Sheridan and find your way, and the campus is easily maneuverable, and, and the football field is not far off of the main drag there anyways. It's, it's really simple to go. But, yeah, in terms of just your, your classic small – university college feel 
you know, that you, you see in movies and stuff like that. It's, yeah. it's right there. Yeah, I, I encourage anybody, especially on a week like this, mm-hmm. where there's going to be other days, other Saturdays, where the Badgers will be the primetime game, hopefully, if they can win a few back-to-back and don't get moved to the 11 o'clock spot. But you'll see, you know, a Saturday afternoon where Carthage might be at home, Wisconsin Lutheran might be at home, Concordia might be at home. They're great venues to go watch collegiate football. Mm-hmm. They're they're small, yes, but they're suitable for the family. It's inexpensive, and I think for for some, if you're looking to take your youngster to a game and you don't want to spend what you need to spend to go to Madison for a game or to go to Green Bay for a game, these alternatives are are unbelievable to give your youngster a taste of what collegiate athletics is. Yeah, and you get you get the culture still. Maybe you don't get the 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 giantness of that is that is Wisconsin, but for example, Concordia, the, the kind of the tradition is you take your couch from your dorm and you put it in the you put it in the end zone or near yep. the back of the end zone and you just sit there and watch the game. Right. And a lot of these places have food trucks and things like that where you get great meals and great concessions. It's it's just a fun place to be. You know, Wistosha used to do that. I don't know if they still do the high school. And I know McGivern sent me down one time to to cover their homecoming game, and that was the big thing. The one side of the field did not have any stands, so you're standing in line to buy a ticket, and pickups with trailers on the back are going by you onto the track with their couches. <laughs> and there was one there was one family. I had a complete sectional. That wrapped around the corner of the end zone. <laughs> they had the grill behind it. Nice. It was amazing. That I is mean, perfect. Those those types of things, just whether it's college on Saturday or high school on Friday, really are are what make going out to some of those games special and enjoyable. Time for us to take another break. When we come back, pose this question. Anybody in the Big Ten right now taking down Ohio State? We'll discuss it next. This is the College Football Show, right here on 105.7 FM, The Fan. Once again, welcome back in to the College Football Show, right here on 105.7 FM, The Fan. Best thing about the show being on Thursday nights, it's always Throwback Thursday. That's true. <laughs> All right. I don't know what my excuse is when we put the bumper music together when we move to Sundays for basketball, but at least tonight we can always say, It's throwback Thursday right here on the fan guys. I posed this question prior to going into the commercial break. And that is this just looking at the big 10 as it stands right now, excuse me, after three games, is there anybody out there, Jeff, that can beat Ohio state or at least give Ohio state a run for its money or right now, even with all of the mess that they went through before the start of the season is it is it Ohio State and then everybody else? Yeah, Ohio State's head and shoulders above everybody else. It's not going to be close, and I, you know, no one's going to give them a run for their money. They're they're going to walk right into the championship game and walk right over whoever they face and uh, onto the playoffs. And I think the biggest test of this will be Dan. It was it was uh, published today that Bosa is going to be out indefinitely with a lower, some sort of injury to the lower abdomen. Mm-hmm. Um, that could mean by the time the Big Ten championship rolls around, he could be back. It could mean that he decides, I'm done, essentially, sure. because I know I'm going to head to the NFL draft, so I want to heal and and so forth. I think what we're going to see from the Buckeyes, as much as this pains me, is when you have a team as deep as they are, 
with the ability to roll, as Jeff just said, the idea of next man up will be so evident with this Ohio State team. Oh, yeah. It won't even be funny. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you'll, you'll see that. I mean, right now, um, Ohio State, in terms of our program, is a train. And there's there's been nothing really to slow it down. They, all, they always have that next man up, but they always have the next recruit to kind of fill the gap. They always have the great mobile quarterback with a strong arm that can do different things. Um, you know, I don't I don't see any of that changing until there's a change in leadership. Um, there's the brand of Urban Meyer that, that student athletes are attracted to when they're in high school, uh, kind of like there's a brand of Nick Saban. And there's certain coaches that have that when they call up and they say, we'd like to come and have a visit. Sure. Would you like to come up here? It's just going to automatically work. You know, I, I look at the Big Ten right now, and, and I – the only team that stands a chance of getting a host Ohio State a, a run for its money is going to be Penn State. That's it. I'm wondering this, and Jeff, I'll start with you. When we look around the Power Five conferences within the country, we kind of know that the Big Ten is smash mouth football. The SEC is that speed, kind of wide open. The Pac-12 is a little bit of both. I mean, the Pac-12, if you really wanted to, in my opinion, look at it, it's this kind of meld of of, sme- of speed excuse me, and, and smash-mouth football. Um, same thing maybe if we head down south, Texas, you know, the Big 12, so to speak. Do you think that Big 10 teams are now going to alter their recruiting methods to match Ohio State's speed, or are they just kind of waiting the Urban Meyer tenure letting it at some point fizzle and then everything will be back to the way it was. I think they're going to, I think half the teams will try and, and match speed, but speed is such a hard thing to find. If it was so easy, Wisconsin would have a handful of speedsters and you know, they'd be playing that way as well. So, you know, it's, it's easy to say, yeah, just get faster guys and then you can match up. But you know, the reality of the situation is that it, it's it's very tough to do. Now, I would say that when all this scandal and everything like that broke, there was a lot of Big Ten coaches licking their chops like, okay, hopefully this causes huge chaos and we can get away with, you know, the big uglies and smash mouth and all that and not have to chase around these these speedy guys. But, it you know, Urban Meyer is not going anywhere anytime soon. And, uh you either adjust or you're going to continue to uh, to fall short. So, Dan, if you're any other team in the Big Ten, what do you do now schematically from a recruitment side, whatever, whatever avenue you want to take as the leader of the Indianas, Wisconsin's, Illinois, you can go right down the line because right now the team to beat in the conference, no matter what division you're in, it's Ohio State. What do you do? Man, I, I don't know. I mean, everything from looking the junior college route and looking for, I would call them marginal student athletes. The athlete is there, but the student is there is not, and you've got to be careful about that. Um, to look at what Northwestern is doing with their facilities, trying to attract that way, and, and that kind of that sell that pitch. But but I'm with Jeff. I mean, there, there's, there's speed, and then there's speed. You know, yeah. and Ohio State's got the latter. We've we've got some fast guys in Wisconsin. There's fast guys all around the Big Ten, but not not to the level of quantity that's being attracted by Ohio State, the SEC, parts of the ACC. Okay, there's but there's there's a fine line, right? Because last year in the Orange Bowl, Wisconsin was playing Ohio. I'm sorry, Miami, and we're hearing all about Miami's speed. 
You know, and they're, they're going to run past Wisconsin, and it's not going to really be a challenge. No, not really, because there's fast, and then there's there's football player fast, I guess is what I'm trying to say, and then there's fast. And you want football player fast. And I, your point about the Pac-10, we really haven't really talked significantly about the Pac-10 since Oregon stopped being dominant. Okay, and, sure. and they were they were getting they were getting speed, and that worked in the Pac-10, and then they'd get into the national championship game, and they'd get kicked. They didn't have football speed, and whatever it is that comes out of Florida or Texas or California, that is football speed that Alabama can get, Auburn can get, Clemson can get, Ohio State can get. You know, they've got those pipelines that we, unfortunately, as a Big Ten, the rest of them, just don't have the ability to sell. Well, I think sometimes the pipelines themselves vary based on the history and culture of the program. Mm -hmm. So when you look at a team like Wisconsin, and we just kind of beleaguered the offensive line early on in today's show because of what took place last Saturday, but when you talk about kids anywhere in the country, for that matter, big offensive linemen kind of yearn for a Wisconsin, a Nebraska. I mean, there are certain funnels by which – schools are able to attract a certain type of player. And right now, I think what's astounded me a bit, Jeff, is the fact that Ohio State, who had that running back kind of uh, funnel going to them, when you look you know, historically, Ohio State's always had some really, really quality running backs and quarterbacks for mm-hmm. that matter. But the others were, they were good, don't get me wrong, but not like what we're seeing, as Dan just said, football speed, the way they've been able to expand that recruiting process under Urban Meyer is something that I'm sure a lot of schools would love to emulate. Well, yeah, they've been pulling out uh, great college quarterbacks now uh, under Urban Meyer for years. And it's not like a uh, like an LSU where the entire team is there, but the quarterback is god-awful. And that's why, you know, they came mm-hmm. up short and Les Miles lost his job and all that. Uh you know they it's it's a professional football team. Yeah, the Buckeyes right. are yeah. a professional football team. It's you know it's NFLU, and uh, you know there's only a hand few of those left. Uh, you know you have Wisconsin talked about how you know if you're an offensive lineman, you go to the Badgers. Chances are you're ending up in the league. Uh, it's not like that for you know speedy receivers and cornerbacks and all that. They they head south. So well, and not only they head south. The reason being also is the fact that the style of offense that we play, like we, we've found ways now to have that that highway, so to speak, from the New Jersey area here with running backs. I mean, we've been able to go out east a little bit and really bring in some high quality running backs that have had remarkable success for the Badgers. But again, that's been our M.O. So if you're trying to then recruit that receiver like you just alluded to, Jeff, and You've got that speedy, I'll even use football speed, to to bring to your club. That's the one who sits back and says, yeah, I don't know, because you're only throwing the football X number of times a game mm-hmm. because you rely on your running game so much. This is why I want to look at Clemson and Alabama and every place else, simply because of the fact I know I'm going to get the ball. And regardless of how you can sell – on the school, your ability to go to bowl games, and all of the other facets that come. If you're playing the game, you want the rock because you're busting your tail all week in practice 
trying to make a, a name for yourself. And for some of those kids, it's just a stepping stone hoping to get to the next level. And that's I just want to go off on that really quick. And there, there are teams out there right now that sell bowl games, and there are teams that sell playoffs, and there are teams that sell NFL, okay? And, and obviously the talent is going to go to the last two. I mean, the really the, the unique talent, okay, the, the incredibly special talent. And then you know, players that are going to bowl games are, are all very good. But right now Wisconsin, to me, is still selling bowl games because they haven't made that hump over the Big Ten Championship. They can't get past some of these games. And that, that's going to be, I think, the most difficult part about this year again. Mm-hmm. What we saw this past week against BYU is just another slap in the face in this quest to get over that proverbial hump. And I think for some, in myself, I thought this could be the year. I don't know if necessary. Well, yeah, I guess I did. I, I really did. I thought this could be the year that the offense – would be able to put numbers up, hide the defensive woes of this very young team, and we could seriously make a run, and it just all got <laughs> in thrown one out the window in one game. Dust in the wind, man. <laughs> before before we take a break here, this is the one. I, this has nothing to do with us here in the Badger State. The Tulane Green Wave are headed to Ohio State this Saturday for a game against the Buckeyes. Final score, Dan. <laughs> Give me a prediction. Oh man, um, I, I say they're going to be. They've got Urban Meyer back. They're they're going to have their way. I'll say sixties, sixty-two. Sixty-two, Jeff. Sixty-four to three. Okay. All right. I'm I'm going to go seventy-three nothing. I'm borrowing that <laughs> Whitewater score from last week. This this looks like oh yeah. I mean I know teams take it. Because as a as an athletic department, you need the money. The mm-hmm. revenue is great. Yep. Um, for a team like Tulane, they're going to get on TV. Who knows? They the only other time they might get on TV is that eight o'clock Tuesday night game in November when ESPN starts showing games Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, and some of those mid majors get on. So I mean, I understand why Tulane takes it, but my goodness, this this thing should be over by. Two minutes into the second quarter, this thing should be wrapped up and done. It's not something went wrong. No, <laughs> that yeah, and that, that and and why? That's why we watch though, right? Mm-hmm. We're trying to see will something backfire oh, to yeah. keep this thing close or interesting, or are we going to see a train wreck like we're predicting for the Green Wave at Tulane? With that said, let's take a break. When we come back, we'll cover some more of the things happening in and around the state of college football. Later on, we'll shovel the funk. And ask this question, Live Nation, where's our tickets? We'll be back. (laughs) This is the College Football Show right here on The Fan. Once again, welcome back in to the College Football Show right here on 105.7 FM. The Fan is we begin that process of wrapping up our number two. Boy, this time goes fast. It does. You know what I mean? When you get to sit back and just look and and take a peek at all the things going on in and around college football, it's a good Thursday evening. All right, guys, we got Iowa on Saturday. And outside of really wanting to see the tradition of which everyone kind of stops and and waves at the kids at the Children's Hospital, which we talked to J.R. Ogden about uh, earlier on, I just one of the 
great traditions in all of sport. I don't care what the sport is. I just think that's magnificent what they do uh, there and showing some respect and some love for those kids going through some of the things that they're going through. What are we thinking about on, on Saturday? I I would have I would have taken a blase Badger team with a win, obviously, and kind of thought, okay, we're sleepwalking our way through the non-conference schedule. Here we go. It's wake-up time. I, I honestly right now don't know what to expect. Can the offensive line bounce back? Can the defense make the adjustments? Um, you know, some of the things that Jeff was alluding to early on. Can can Hornerbrook bounce back as as Radio Joe was saying, you know, and stop making some of those mistakes that he seems to be making here early on in the season? There are so many question marks going into Saturday. I don't I don't even know what avenue to take, Dan, in order to figure out what to expect against this Iowa Hawkeye uh, team Saturday night, 7.30. 7.30, I know what to expect. I'll be drinking beer. And, you know, um, You're numbing the pain before yeah, kickoff? Yeah, pretty much. Okay. Pretty much. Right. Look, I, I, you're right. And it, it, this one game really kind of exposed the Badgers. It outed them a little bit in terms of, of, of who they are as a football team. You know, for, for my money, I think, I think Jonathan Taylor will still get 100 yards, but it's going to be tough. And I think they're going to – we're not talking like 140, 150. We're talking 101, 102. I think that that Hornerbrook will come back a little bit because that's what he does. He comes back a little bit after a, after a poor game. But I, what I think – I think they are going to struggle to sustain drives. I think there is going to be pressure on Hornerbrook. We've seen it all season. I think he, he'll be challenged with that. I think he'll make some big plays, not kind of like 78 yard plays, but – kind of the the good 15, 20-yard plays for that first town. But sustaining that over time I think is going to be very difficult. I think Wisconsin's defense um, is going to have to make big plays or they're going to get worn down. I, I think uh, Jake Ferguson is going to have a, a, a crucial point in this game where they, he's got to loosen up things underneath. But I, I'm, I am honestly I am nervous about this football game. Jeff, for you, is it the defensive line? The linebackers, the secondary, what's got you the most concerned after what we saw against BYU as we roll into Saturday? Yes. It's, <laughs> it's all of the above. They all have to step up. We need turnovers in this game for the Badgers to be successful. They have to get off the field on third down. You know, I could echo every single thing you said, Dan. It, you know, you're you're 100% uh, spot on. It's put up or shut up time for the Badgers. Yeah, great point. And, and this is going to show you how the rest of the season is going to go. If they come out and they're flat and they lay, lay an egg at Iowa, you know, the season's just over. But if they bounce back and get a nice win on the road against a good opponent, then there might still be a glimmer of light. So, it you know, a, a lot comes down to Saturday night. Is it me? Was it just me watching the game again with that whole perception of them being flat, or or were you guys seeing it as well? You know, sometimes you can watch something and you kind of, no matter what is taking place, you've you've got the box wrapped around it, and that's how you see everything. Is it just me as far as the lack of energy that that team had the last two weeks? In my mind, in football, you get your energy from your defense, and so we've got this young defense that's out there. And I think what's killing them right now is in the past three games, at least the last two against uh, New Mexico and now against BYU, they've been they've just been throttled by big plays. And all of a sudden they get that big play, and it doesn't feel like they're the same defense anymore. 
particularly against BYU, their their confidence is shaken. And you can see them look around a little bit. So I, I really feel like in order for, for Wisconsin to have a chance against Iowa, they, they can't give up these big plays. You know, but I, I'm with you. They feel flat, but I'm gonna go back down to hey, it's no big deal. We start slow. This is what we do. We'll come back. We're confident we're going to come back in the second half, but I don't know that they're that team that can do that anymore. Well, it's okay to be confident in the second half because you got to make adjustments. Right. Does now the loss to BYU, that sense of urgency, finally reach the doors of the Badgers and kind of penetrate its way through to kind of wake everybody up that, listen, you only have X number of games. As I said before, it's different than basketball where you can lose early on in end of November, December, and people start to question. But all of a sudden, January, February, you hit your stride, you roll into March Madness, you're all set. Mm-hmm. Football is just a, a different animal. I mean, I, I get it. The game is different, but it's the number of games that you play oh, yeah. that make each game so important. And when you go flat, on one or two of them, it ends up really costing your season in what could have been. And I guess that right now for me is going to be the hardest thing when we get to the end of this and then transition into college basketball is looking back with the Badgers, that game against BYU and simply saying what could have been. Well, yeah, I mean, you hit it on the head. This game is always going to be about what could have been from here on out. I mean, we'll never know. I you know, I, I was with Joe. It's like I'm not really sure that I thought the Badgers were going to be a playoff team, but I they they still had the chance to do it because they were expected to do really well. And you kind of hit your wagon to that and hope for the best. And I think I was expecting, yeah, we're going to get through the Big Ten season, and okay, we're going to run into another wall against Ohio State. That was kind of my outlook on the season. Now my outlook has changed completely in one game. It's just it's so different. Absolutely amazing how one game can just alter what the perception was going in. We really haven't touched, Jeff, much about the kicker, Gaglione, who I I was I was astounded. I, I get sometimes you make a kick a little bit right. I mean, we saw it with the Packers on Sunday. Yeah. Crosby, you know, just missed. It's it's curling in and just doesn't curl enough, or it fades just a little bit. But that was just an outward shank the way that thing came off his foot well gag you know the first (laughs) syllable in his last name that's what that kick was and you know it's surprising because he's a very very reliable kicker and uh but yeah from the the second it left his foot you know you were you were reaching for the power button shutting the tv off and just what jeff said there dan it was almost like when you look back at it like the planets were never aligned for the badgers to win that game and they were they were aligned for a BYU team that came into Camp Randall loose. I mean, you knew BYU was loose when they when they were doing jump around and the Cougars were jumping around with the fans. Right. Like they were just relaxed and it was kind of this devil may care atmosphere where we're gonna go in, we're giving it our best shot. No one gives us an absolute chance whatsoever. So why are we putting pressure on ourselves? Mm-hmm. Let's just go out and play football and whatever happens, happens. I'll just say that I had no doubt in my mind that Gaglione was going to miss that kick. It's just, yeah. it, and nothing against him, but the way the game was going, the way it was setting up, and and about right midway through the third quarter, you kind of got the sense sitting in the same like, this could really happen. Yeah, you know. And as as it went on, and the Badgers were tied, and they just couldn't keep up. 
when when they were setting up for that kick, I'm like, to your point, planets aligning and stuff like that, this this is not going to happen. And I don't think anybody was really shocked that he missed it. It wasn't, it wasn't a chip shot. No, no there, there was some no. distance to it. Yes. But in, in agreed, it was a shank. But I'm sitting there watching that from section I, and I'm thinking, no, this just, today is not the day. This is not going to happen. It was the 90-yard wedge shot to the green that hooks left and puts you on the tee box of the next hole trying <laughs> to make your way back on over. Time for us to take our last break of the night when we come back. It'll be time to shovel the funk, which will be brought to you by Americana Apparel. As we sit here once again, waiting for our Justin Timberlake tickets. I'm just saying. <laughs> Any minute now. Any minute, Justin. Yeah, we're waiting Your for faith. the envelope, UPS, you name it. Oh, but we'll talk about delivery. <laughs> we'll cover it all next. This is the College Football Show right here on 105.7 FM, The Fan. Once again, welcome back in to the final segment here on the College Football Show as we get ready to hand out our Shovel the Funk Awards here for this Thursday evening. Shovel the Funk is being brought to you by Americana Apparel. Whether you need t-shirts for an upcoming event or team jerseys and gear, Americana Apparel has you covered. Owner Jim Van Acker will provide you with unparalleled quality and service for all your custom silk screening and embroidery needs. Check them out on their website at AmericanaApparelLLC.com. Americana Apparel, the official outfitters of the college football show. Justin Timberlake in town tomorrow night at Fiserv. Forum, I almost said arena, Fiserv Forum in downtown Milwaukee as we sit with the lights on, still waiting for our tickets. But nonetheless, <laughs> Daniel, time to hand out a shovel. Go get them. Yeah, I'm going to murder the first name, but I know how to pronounce the last name because I heard it over and over again at Camp Randall. He's BYU linebacker, Sione Takitaki. And I heard that name again and again and again and again, particularly in the first half. We talked about defense setting the tone. That man set the tone for the entire game. He was all over Wisconsin's offense. I can't ignore that. So I don't even know if he knows what Shovel the Funk is, but uh, he he won the award this time around. I'm sure he'll be wondering when that little plastic sand shovel shows up <laughs> in his mailbox later this week. Jeff, go ahead. I don't have a grabber. It's happy shovel time for me. <laughs> Uh-oh. Kansas State kicker Blake Lynch. He got a uh, scholarship. Uh, to play for the school. He was working as a janitor to afford going uh, to school, and uh, he's a very imposing five foot five. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, so far he's only seven to eight on field goals, perfect on extra points. Congratulations to him. You know, those type of stories and the ones like you'll see on uh, ESPN or the yeah. Big Ten Network, when you get those kids who are walk ons, when they then are awarded a scholarship in some of the creative ways now mm -hmm. that some of the coaches are going about doing it. Those are those fun are fun watch. situations to watch. My shovel this week is going to Carthage College after their 31 nothing trouncing of Carroll University, cracking into the honorable mention section of the top 25. Carthage will take on Washington University in a road game in St. Louis, Missouri this upcoming week. Music in the background tells us our time has come to an end. My thanks 
to J.R. Ogden, the sports editor for the Gazette down in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. Also want to thank Radio Joe Zola for taking some time before he got up out of here this evening. For the professor, Dan Underberg, our producer, the Polish pipe bomb, Jeff Orlowski. I'm Don Wachillis. Thank you so much for joining us this evening. We're back in 6 in 22. Have a great weekend on Wisconsin. We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com.